Great. Well, hey, uh, Marcus, flip those lights. Nate, flip those lights right there. We have had a light issue uh, to say least, so welcome. We can see each other. Man, this is intimidating. We have never done this, and I feel overwhelmed right now. Just real quickly, when I was uh, in middle school, when the fluorescence came on, it would actually give me a panic attack because all of a sudden people could see my pimples and all that stuff. So just look at your neighbor and go, hey, I see that pimple. And look at your other neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're at church right now. Man, we are glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Nehemiah chapter 5 is where we'll find ourselves. If you're a guest with us, um, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming this morning with our fluorescent lights. Thank you for coming with our testimonies and everything else that, that you're seeing this morning. This is kind of who we are. We want to be a transparent people who do life together. And I want to let you know that you can belong in this space, even if you don't believe or yet believe in what we're doing in the mission. That We hope that you feel loved in this space. We hope that somebody said hi to you, that, that um, our love was a little overwhelming to you um, because uh, how many of you know that when love is a little overwhelming you can avoid it or you can or you can question its authenticity and realize that maybe through that authenticity there's something to that that I want to be a part of and uh, so we invite you and we invite you to come back next week and do life with us we're so glad that you're here this morning Nehemiah chapter 5 is where we're going to be and We've been going through the book of Nehemiah talking about not just building lives, our individual life and the Nehemiah book of leadership and the greatest book of leadership that we've ever seen. But it's, it's also a book for the church that it was actually bringing people together, the body of Christ together to accomplish something in, in the earth. And I want to encourage you. That's what Nehemiah's um, objective is here for us today, is that it would bring the church together to rally together to accomplish God's work here on the earth. And I hope that you've been encouraged through this. Did anybody do their homework last week? Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 5. All right. Well, that's why we're at church, you know. Let's go ahead and read this together. This is the English Standard Version, so if it's confusing, I apologize. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry, this was Nehemiah speaking, when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother, and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover... I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchard, orchards, and their houses. 
and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may be shaken, he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall. And we acquired no land and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice of sheep and birds and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah chapter 5, you just read Nehemiah chapter 5, give yourself a hand. We, we have accomplished something today. We have accomplished something today. So I hope that that's helpful for you. Now, I want to set this up a little bit because two weeks ago, I knocked apologetics. And I, I, you may have been in here when I, when I dethroned apologetics in your mind. And, and I said that that, that that is not of the utmost importance. And then some of you came up afterwards like, man, apologetics is amazing and we need that. And it's, it's what we need to, to stop what is going on in society. And I said, you know, the greatest apologetics ever is that we would love one another that we would love one another in fact Jesus himself said this they will know me by the way that you love one another by the way that you love one another and that that's a great apologetic how many know come on praise God lights hallelujah somebody yes back in my comfort zone thank you for that angel I appreciate that and now you're comfortable because you can't see that neighbor's pimple that's stuck in your mind that we would love one another. And, and I, want, I want to say this. For if you love apologetics in here, and that's your thing, Ravi Zacharias and, and all those people, Lee Strobels, and, and all those people in, in, in the movement of the body of Christ, I think there is a part for them to play. I think there is. I think we, we need to get sound evidence. I was at the Museum of the Bible this week in Washington, D.C., and it is awesome. It is awesome. Everybody needs to go to the Museum of the Bible. If you just became a follower of Jesus, go to the Museum of the Bible, and in a moment, you get caught up on all of the Bible. You're like, oh, that's what it's about. It's amazing. It, it, you can do so many things. And it was archaeologists and apologists who, who sought out um, the, the reason for, for the Bible and, and just, just highlighted and made it really big. And it, it was amazing. It, it was so amazing. I'm going to tell you this, that the museum of the Bible without Jesus is just a book museum. The museum of the Bible without Jesus and the person of Jesus and who Jesus is, is just an archaeological, archaeological finding. That's all it is. It's just books. 
Now, now you say, Pastor, how do we separate Jesus from the Bible? You can't. It's both. But here's what we do is oftentimes we elevate something that is not Christ to make it primary. For instance, I, I wear a cross and it doesn't have Christ crucified. It has Christ risen, right? It's it's amazing cross. But I'm going to tell you that there are followers of Jesus who wear this cross and unfollowers who wear this cross. It has become a symbol of fashion. Without Jesus, this cross is just a piece of metal. Without Jesus and who he is, that's all it is. So I'm saying we have to have the person of Jesus. And the way that people are going to know Jesus is the way that we love one another. So if we have museums of the Bible, which are so amazing, and we need it desperately, but we don't have love for one another, we missed it. We missed it. We aren't living the full gospel. We're just living part of it. It's the difference between religion and relationship. And you may have heard that because it's catching on. It's catching on in our society. And so I want to tell you, go to the Museum of the Bible. Read Ravi Zacharias. Read these people. Study well. Study well. But we need Jesus. We need Jesus absolutely. We need to put our faith in Jesus. And we need to let Jesus write our story. How many know you hear this story up here from Chastity or Taylor? And God's used them and and people were healed. and, And some of you are like, I don't even know if I believe in that healing that's weird. Just take some ibuprofen, Alyssa. <laughs> so we hear these stories. We do that. But, but I want to tell you, or, or we can look at them like, man, I want that story. I want that story. I want to live that story. I, I want to be like that. I want, to, I want to go to Baja next year, and I want to start reaching people with the gospel, and I want to start, I want to start changing lives in every way possible. That's, that's what I want. I want that story. But I'm going to tell you that you'll never have this story. You'll never have this story. And some of you are like, what? (laughs) I want that story. That's what God's done in them. We aren't trying to duplicate stories. We're trying trying to see Jesus and our relationship with Jesus and live out the story that he's called you to live out. And it frees us up from comparison because all of a sudden our identity is given to us, a new identity. An armor that fits just right. Remember that story? When a man went and faced a giant and he tried on an armor that just didn't quite fit. It was just too big and too clunky. And he was trying to go out. If he would have went out in that armor, he would have been destroyed. And if you try to go in this armor of, of living somebody's life or living some, duplicating somebody's life or somebody's apologetic or whatever it may be or, or worshiping some, some book above the person of Jesus, then, then what happens is you find your identity in something that's not supposed to be. Because the only identity that you can have in life is in Christ. He makes you a new creation. He does it. He does it. A book doesn't do it. A piece of jewelry doesn't do it. A great apologetic book doesn't do it. No, it's Jesus revealing himself to you and giving you identity and calling you out and writing your story. But the hard part about that is you have to trust Jesus in that process. You have to trust that he's going to do that. See, it's easy for me to just mimic somebody's life, isn't it? 
okay, I'm going to mimic them. I'm going to, how they do that? Okay, I'm going to do that. How they worship? Okay, awesome. How they read? Okay, awesome. Oh, what did he say when he said that one thing to that one person and it made them feel not as good about themselves, but it made that person feel awesome? Yeah, how do I do that? Right? That's, that's so amazing. But, but, but I'm going to tell you, can we model Christ as Paul models Christ? Can we model Paul as Paul models Christ? Yes. Can you look at people in here who follow Jesus? Yes. But I'm going to tell you that that is just the beginning, that God is moving you to a place to see Jesus clearly. It's our motto here. It's our anthem that you would see Jesus clearly, that you would fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And you may see Jesus through some text. And you may see Jesus through a book. And you may see Jesus emulated through somebody else. And you may see the faith of Taylor up here. And you see Jesus in here. But if you only see Taylor and you only see that miracle and you only want that miracle, you're like Simon who wants to buy it, wants to purchase it. But no, no, I want to see Jesus. Oh, man, Jesus, you're amazing. You're amazing, God, how you do that, how you wrote Taylor's story. How she prayed for somebody and their headache went away. How people who were lost got saved. And man, Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, use me. Use me greatly. Increase my faith. Start stirring it up. Jesus, I'm ready to be used. I'm ready to, I'm ready to advance your kingdom, Jesus. I love you. My eyes are fixed on you, Jesus. I want more of you, Jesus, right? It's so subtle. The difference. The difference. I'm going to tell you the, the difference will be a tension that you deal with for the rest of your life. A tension of am I, am I in law and religion or am I in relationship in Christ fully? It's a tension. And you're going to find yourself messing up and like, oh, man, I was so hard on myself. Oh, man, I was trying to do things for God instead of with God. Oh, man. And, and, and don't beat yourself up because we all deal with that tension. We all try to wear somebody else's armor. We all try to um, try to take on some identity other than that which Christ has placed inside of you. But the most freeing place is being Christ and be fully known by him. Isn't that the isn't that the hope we'd fully know and be fully known? And one day that's going to happen for all of us. As Paul writes in first Corinthians. One day, the fullness of God in 1 Corinthians 12 will be made known and manifested. It's going to be beautiful. I didn't. Yeah, here we go. Replace the batteries, Ben Chapman, and the sound man will look good. So what do we read in Nehemiah 5? I, I, I say all that because I wanted to rant this morning. Because sometimes a pastor got to rant. You know, sometimes he got to get on something and, and motivate you to, to be something that you're called to be. Because what you're called to be is very, very important to me. But so important to our God. So important to the Father. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, we, we read this word. It says outcry. There's an outcry. An outcry, this, 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 this moment where we're just, we're, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Y'all remember that line? The civil rights movement. That they were sick and tired of being sick and tired of being oppressed, being discriminated against, 
being told that we couldn't be equal with you. We couldn't be on the same leveling field. They were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And this is what was happening with the widows and the orphans and those who were being taken advantage of. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're tired of this. We can't even afford to eat. We're having to sell our sons and daughters. We can't even afford to do what, what we were called to do, what you're calling us to do. And so Nehemiah hears this, and of course he's outraged. In Hebrews 13, 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you all are also one body. Everybody say one. We're one body. Left and right. We're one body, one people, one allegiance, one allegiance to God the Father. And then we all have our cultural differences and the way we express life, but we're one body. And we are supposed to look at those who are down and out, mistreated, those who are in prison, those who are enslaved, those who, who are, are, can't help themselves. And we're supposed to look at them and we're supposed to act as though we are in their same shoes. Walk a mile in somebody else's shoes and you'll understand where they came from. Have you ever tried on anybody else's shoes? My daughter loves it right now. She is trying on all of our shoes. She loves to take Bubba's shoes from them. You know, she'll walk around in Bubba's shoes. And, and, and she just can't wait to be in those shoes. Shoes are important. Shoes are, are the road that you travel. It's, they, they have different wear. They've gone different places. They touch different soil, different demographics, different socioeconomical planes. They've, they've been on so many things. Could we just walk them out in somebody else's shoes? And that's, that's, what, that's what we're reading here in Deuteronomy. That we need to walk in each other's shoes. That, that we should start walking. In, and this is what Deuteronomy 23, 19 says. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. Interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. That you should not charge interest. That, what, what, that's messing with everything that we do as an economy right now. What are you talking about? This is crazy. If your brother and sister needs something, are you, are you raising the taxes as Zacchaeus did? My friend who was so lost and so far away from Jesus, he started raising the taxes and putting people down and out so that they couldn't wear what he wore, couldn't go where he went, and couldn't eat what he ate. That, that Zacchaeus was all about gaining at other people's expense. And if the church is gaining... In certain pockets or certain fragments at the other part of the church's expense, then we missed something, didn't we? We don't gain off of each other. How weird would it be if I'm charging interest to your church back home? Like, hey, man, yo, yo, come on. Send me some money and there's some interest right there. That'd be weird. We wouldn't do that. No, no, we're supposed to walk out this and watch out for each other. And God knew our hearts. Doesn't he know our hearts so well? He knows your desires more than you know your desires. That's amazing. I love that. I love that God knows me more than I know myself because myself, left to myself, ambition is destruction. Complete destruction. If I were just leave it up to my checklist, I'm telling you, there's going to be people taken advantage of. There's going to be there's going to be abuse. There's going to be different things that I end up doing. If it's only left to me to self-govern my life. We will utterly be destroyed. And all you are like, what are we talking about? I mean, this is land of the free, home of the brave. 
What I'm talking about is this, that we are without Christ an immoral people who need a lot of moral laws and code. Remember God, he gave them the, the tablets. You remember this? Give them 10 commandments. He said, just 10, just 10, just keep 10. When Moses came down and gave them the 10, they couldn't even keep 10. And then we have the Levitical law come into play. Oh, they need more than 10. They need over 600 laws because these people are a wicked, immoral people. I need to tell you that you shouldn't charge interest on your brother and your sister, that you shouldn't put them down and out while you're getting up and ahead. Like there's a problem with this. That, that's the person you're worshiping with. That's the person you're going to church with. There should be some law here. And I'm telling you, morality is good, but morality is in me broken. Law is in me broken. We need Jesus to be the sinner. So obviously, Nehemiah's just, he's outright, he's, he's frustrated, he's mad, he's hearing the outcry of these people, and it's bad, y'all. I mean, they're, they're selling their kids into slavery. That's how bad it is. They're doing all these things for abuse. And I want to tell you that, that there was more than just a wall that was being built by Nehemiah. There was a people. That God wanted to build a people together to do what God has wanted them to do. And I'm telling you, it's no different today. God has been trying to build a people together. He's been trying to build the, the church, the body. Question I have for you, have you sold anything that you shouldn't have sold? Have you sold anything that you shouldn't have sold? You know what I mean? It's like you're trying to maybe get ahead on certain things. You're trying to make a way. You're, you're trying to get above. You know, you're doing all those things. But you sold some things that you shouldn't have sold. See, Matthew 16 to 4, this is what Jesus told his disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find him. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Have you sold anything that you shouldn't have sold? Have you sold any of your morals? Any of your integrity? Have you sold your reputation? Have you, have you sold maybe, maybe some of your future? Maybe, maybe you, you, you so wanted to be satisfied and gratified in the moment that you sold your future. That, that the pleasures of the moment. Remember Esau sold a birthright. He sold a future for a present. Are you selling a future for a present? Uh, 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 not not a present, but future. <laughs> you sold your future for something that's happening right now in your life. Have you been selling something that you shouldn't have sold? Maybe we did something that was easy instead of something that was right. You know what I'm talking about. You you can self-examine it, whether it's the workplace, whether it's your marriage. A relationship whether it's school have you done this have you settled for something easy instead of something that is right and godly and everything that Jesus wants for you have you done that 
You see, why would we sell something that is so precious to us? There's probably lots of reasons. There's a whole list of things that we could go through. But I, I think one of those is this in verse 9. When he says, the thing you're doing is not, God, is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? Aren't you to walk in the fear of God and that will keep you from selling something that you're not supposed to sell? It'll keep you from compromising your, your belief. It'll keep you from doing that, that, that you would walk in the fear of God and who he is, that you would remember God in your every situation, your every circumstance. And it changes things, right? Because when you're about to sell out your marriage for, for maybe an image or somebody else and you're about to do something like that, you remember that God is in control. And God loves me and he's for me. And he's also going to judge me. And, he, and I'm so afraid that it keeps me in line with him. And that's good. It's, it's good when Benson's afraid of his dad that he doesn't cross the street, right? Like, oh, man, I remember that how that felt. Because he doesn't know what's in the streets. You see, God, when we fear God, he's keeping you from destruction. And although it may not feel pleasant at the current time, it is for your benefit. Do you know that? This is what God's called us to in Philippians 2.1. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is truly in control that every knee shall bow every tribe every tongue every language and this is what he wants for us and this is what nehemiah wanted for the people that they would be in unity together so that they could bow before god knowing that god is in control and he's amazing nehemiah led by example he leads by example in every way think about this in nehemiah the second part of chapter five he realized all these people were taking advantage of, so I'm going to take less. I'm going to take less because I'm going to lead by example. Now, you can apply this however you want to in life, but what I realize is sometimes I live at a different standard of living so that other people can be blessed. So other people can be encouraged. Have you ever just given up coffee for a week and given it to a missionary or a campus minister? Right, y'all have heard the, the fundraiser speeches. Just one coffee a day could feed children forever. And they start, you know, guilting you in it, and you're like, oh man, now I'm feeling bad. Do you know that's the gospel? The gospel that we would take a little sacrifice, that we deny ourselves and live for Him. So that others could be changed and reached. I want to tell you this. That Jesus took less. He took less. He moved from heaven to earth, incarnated in, in the man, Jesus. And he lived a sinless life that you and I couldn't live. And he lived it so perfectly and yet was mistreated so unjustly. But he did it so that you and I could live a little more. So that you and I could be grafted into the kingdom of God and that we could hold on to them so that we could have this relationship, this relationship so that we so desire. 
question is, where are you leading from? Would be my last question from, for you today. Where are you leading from? Are you leading from failure? Are you leading from fear? Are you, are you leading from trusting God? See, a lot of us lead from failure. A fear of failure, a fear of man, a fear of acceptance, a fear of death, a fear of rejection. We, we lead our lives that way. We make decisions that way. We, we invest that way. We, we do relationships that way where, oh, man, I'm, I'm afraid he may betray me one day. So I'm not really going to open up in this connect group this time. Oh, man, I, I'm so afraid of this. So I've been leading my life out of fear. Of, of, of failure and fear of rejection instead of fear of God. Fear of God is amazing because what it equates to is trust. You realize that? See, Benson fears me, but he trusts me. I fear God, but I trust him. And it's beautiful when life happens like that. And every week we talk about this. And we're going to talk about it until we die until we're with him because we forget too often i need to be reminded ben what does this look like for you and your finances what does this look like for you in this this house situation what does it look like for you leading your kids if if you're only leading your kids out of fear a fear of control of man i got to control this whole thing because something's going to happen to them and something and this and that you know then, then i'm telling you you may have misplaced trust Anything that's not fear of God is trusting yourself, making yourself God. But that's not what God wants, is it? What he wants for you is something so much more amazing than that. Matthew 10, 27, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your heads are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore you are of more value than many, many, many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is amazing because it's not just proclaiming Jesus with your mouth. It's not just sharing the gospel on the street. But how are you living the gospel every day? How are you trusting God in every move of every day that, God, I trust you. I trust you today. I trust you. You are amazing. Jesus had to trust God. You realize that when he was on the cross and he was dying that death that he didn't deserve for you and me to have life, he had to trust that his father was going to get him out of the grave. That is a trust moment. God, I trust you that you're going to get me out of the grave. And I want to encourage you today that your father's not going to leave you and that he's brought you too out of the grave. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for Nehemiah chapter 5. God, I thank you for just having your way 
this morning God as we've been walking in this trust journey as we've been walking with you day in and day out believing that you are who you said you are and Lord when we doubt when we get confused when we get weary Lord Jesus I just pray there would be a strengthening set our eyes on you because when we see you life is different when we see you life is amazing we thank you in jesus name amen